The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Why is it that some of our greatest understandings, our most profound wisdom, comes out of our greatest sufferings and great illnesses and pain? Why is it that so many of us have to almost die to reach enlightenment? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Before I introduce today's guest, I've got to mention a story that was picked up in uh, November 8th's Huffington Post. It's, uh, it goes with a picture of a woman in her hospital bed in the parking lot of a hospital with a large horse standing right next to her. And uh, I quote from the article, Sheila Marsh, 77, from Wigan, Lancashire, in England, was a lifelong horse lover who had been battling cancer and was hospitalized without much time to live, the Manchester Evening News reported. Before she died, she asked to see her beloved horse, Bronwyn, one last time. Bronwyn was brought to the Wigan Royal Infirmary's parking lot, and Marsh was wheeled out to the pet in her hospital bed for the pair's final moment together. The two shared a moving farewell. The horse bent down tenderly and kissed her on the cheek as they said their last goodbyes, Nurse Gail Taylor told the Manchester Evening News. The 77-year-old and owner of many pets had made her wish known to the hospital staff after she saw her dogs for the last time the weekend before, BBC News reported. The staff organized the interaction with the help of the Wright, Wrightington, Wigan, and Lay NHS Foundation Trust. After seeing the deep connection Marsh had with her horse, the hospital staff said they were honored to have arranged such a meeting. Marsh died just hours after the emotional goodbye. And as I said, there are photos of the horse and her owner in her hospital bed in the parking lot, and it's worth taking a look on Huffington Post, especially for anyone who doubts animals have the same eternal consciousness and love as people. Our guest today is Robert Tremblay, who grew up in Jericho, Vermont. In 1986, after graduating high school, he became a combat medic for the 18th Airborne Corps in Georgia, and then later a helicopter paramedic where he was decorated with a Good Conduct Medal, Army Achievement Medal, and the Army Commendation Medal for Valor, as well as the AMED Award for the Top 100 Medics in all the Armed Forces. He went into law enforcement in New Hampshire upon leaving the military, and after only three years, he was promoted to the youngest chief of police in the country at 23 years old in Deering, New Hampshire. After several injuries and increased pressures, including arresting the entire board of selectmen, and I've got to ask you about that, Robert, he, he left law enforcement to become a private investigator specializing in missing persons. For the past eight years, he's been an accredited national trainer and speaker in sales and marketing in the banking and auto industry, traveling around the country teaching managers in the field. For the past four years, however, Robert has been battling a terminal illness and cancer, which led him through two separate terminal diagnoses and a trip through hospice just two years ago. He has been diagnosed with cancer three separate times and has had four separate surgeries to beat it each time. All of this followed his NDE, which was almost four years ago now. And Robert says, Since my awakening, I have written a blog and shared my experience with others. I am currently writing a book about my experience due out next year called 20 Seconds. 
My story isn't about dying. It's about love, family, perseverance, and not just faith, but a trust in the path before us each and every day. Robert, welcome to NDE Radio. Well, thanks for having me, Lee. It's, uh, I, I love talking to, uh, people who, who've done hospital and ambulance work. I was an EMT myself for about eight years, and, uh, it's, I only wish that I'd, I'd related at that time my NDE to my work, because I could have given a lot of comfort, I think, at that point in time to, uh, to people who were injured and dying. I think of that uh, a lot in retrospect myself. Yeah, I, I, I probably, I thought you probably had. Uh, Robert, tell us about your NDE. Uh, well, I was, when I was originally diagnosed, I was given 30 days and could go home and prepare my, uh, my journey, if you will. And I was, uh, I was obviously very ill at that point with a number of things. Um, I was in and out of consciousness on the 23rd day of the 30 day time limit limit I was given. My family came and got me in North Carolina and drove me home to Vermont so I could pass away in my home state. Um, about probably 10 days later in the hospital, uh, in and out of consciousness, I found myself, uh, which is really weird because I, I have very little memory of being that ill at that point, so having a memory of anything was is rare. But in the hospital on the 39th day, so I was nine days past my expiration date, if you will, mm-hmm. I had an experience that at the time I considered a dream, but it was very vivid and very real, realer than anything I had ever experienced. And at the time, obviously, I had very little memory, and I wasn't dreaming at all as I was in and out of consciousness, basically in and out of a coma. On the 39th day, I found myself in this experience where... I was suddenly in an open, dark expanse. In the distance, I could tell there was a lip curved, slightly orangish, reddish glow, and I felt weightless. I I also felt very peaceful and calm, but I I didn't understand what was happening. Uh, As the glow got bigger, it seemed like I was traveling towards it. It's very difficult to explain. I also remember an odor and a vibration at the time that I don't ever recall in any dreaming in my past. But be that as it may, as the as I got closer to this, and I wasn't moving, which is odd. Some of this is so hard to explain. I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard somebody say that. But as I got closer to this glow, which seems reddish and orange, it, it changed in colors that just are so ineffable to describe to me. They're just so much more vivid than real-life colors that I see every day or, or had in my experiences. But the expanse, from lack of anything better to explain, seemed like almost like the edge of a volcano. I don't know why I originally thought that, but because of the curved lip of it, if you will, um, almost instantly as that got larger and closer, although I wasn't moving towards it, I found myself literally with my feet dangling over the edge more than three quarters over the edge of this lighted lip um, and an expanse below. I remember thinking I can see everywhere, which was really odd and hard to explain, but there I was at the edge of this lip, and I didn't understand it, And but I was very peaceful. There was a 
continuing vibration that kind of one of those hair on your arms and your and your neck kind of stand up and you could almost feel it in your teeth and that odor which took me some time to recognize I still haven't been able to perfectly identify it but as I was standing over this edge it seemed impossible that I wouldn't be falling over the edge but I couldn't see what was below me other than that soft glow of pinkish orangish hue um, I looked straight in advance, but of course I could seemingly see everything, which is odd for me to explain. But anyway, there was a small light that grew in intensity. It was white. It started out the size of a golf ball and increased in size. And it was swirling in and of itself with highlights of blue. And But it was generally all white. The light grew and grew. And as it did, so did the vibration and the odor almost a breeze, if you will, in your face. And I felt very weightless and kind of floating, but I wasn't scared. I was very much at peace, almost like that last day of school when you, you're you just energized and happy. Hmm. But as the light grew, I noticed that there were strands of it swirling in different directions, but it all seemed to be cascading towards one central point, which was a darker center mass. Occasionally, the, the the light would shrink itself or squeeze onto itself into what almost appeared like a donut, again, with that mass in the center. And it seemed like all the energy, or I called it energy at the time, I didn't really understand it, seemed to be heading towards that center and disappearing. I was very obviously confused and didn't understand it, but as that center, as I focused on that center, a face started to emerge, small at first, and then it increased, and it was the man, it was a face, it was the face of a man that I did not recognize, although there seemed to be a familiarity with it that I couldn't describe at the time, it wouldn't be till several years later that I would understand that face, but it was a an older man uh, from the shoulders up with soft rolling curls and longer hair a very weathered face, and it appeared in this mass of light. Eventually, the face took over the entire ball of light, which was now, it seemed so far away, but yet it was close. But it was very large now at this point. It was no longer a donut-sized. It was the size of, well, I never even put a definition on this, but it almost appeared endless. It just filled the entire field of view for me, but this face was there, and it was definable, and it was absolute, and I did not understand it, and then there were some words, which I still to this day struggle with it, because his lips didn't move, nor did mine in answering, but he asked a question, and it poured into my brain, and with an increased vibration and another breeze to the face, if you will, or a little bit more of a breeze to the face. And he said three words. He asked, are you ready? Now, in my awakened state, if you will, I had already come to grips with my passing and was very comfortable with if, how comfortable you can be with my impending death and but I didn't, without any ambiguity, I 
spoke back, although I didn't move my lips, and I said, no, I'm not ready. There was a smile that built on his face in this glow of light, and it got bigger, and he said these words that still to this day guide me in nearly everything I do. He said, there's something important you're supposed to do. And his smile expanded and expanded, and so did the vibration, or the humming, if you will, and the breeze and the weightlessness. And as he expanded his smile, it, there were other faces that seemed to be morphing into that one face, although I couldn't really put my finger on it. And that's not something I've shared with a lot of people, is the different faces, because it confused me. But it, mm. as his smile increased, he dissipated into the, he, he kind of morphed in and out of different face structures, all male. <clears throat> Whatever reason, Lee, I don't know to this day what made me do it, but I reached out. It seemed like he had been so far away on that edge of that expanse, and, but there it was. I reached out and I put my hand on his cheek, and the vibration for lack of better terms, exploded. His face disintegrated. The ball of light got bigger. If that was even possible, it seemed to be surrounding me and encompassing me. And I just felt the most peaceful moment of my life to this day. Uh, very difficult to explain that. Uh, below me, I, in that expanse that I, that I could not define, the pinkish-red glow was gone, all absorbed by this giant white light, and his face dissolved as it, as the smile increased. And uh, below me, I saw valleys and mountains and streams, and although I, I still can't explain the colors, they, they were greener than green and bluer than blue. It was very odd. But that was Basically, the end of the experience was that light exploding onto me, the vibration. I remember thinking, are my teeth going to fall out? It was vibrating me so much, and the hairs standing up everywhere. And Within seconds, I was back in my hospital room, and I literally sat up in bed and demanded to see all of my doctors, which I don't know that I'd spoken three words since I'd been there. <laughs> they called all the doctors in, and uh, there were 12 of them, ironically. Mm. And we went around the room, and they all stared at me in disbelief as to how this basic comatose man was now lucid and demanding answers. And I said there was something important I was told I'm supposed to do and that I'm supposed to live. I asked them all what the chances and opportunities were, as North Carolina hospitals had told me there was no hope. And each of them went around the room quickly and positively told me that there's a chance, and but it would be a long journey, and if I was willing, then that was the key to the whole thing. And I never heard anything negative from any of the 12 doctors other than disbelief as to how this man, his sitting up in bed, dictating his future treatment. Um, mm. So they all went through their story, and I, we started treatment at that point, which 
would carry on for the next year, uh, poisoning my immune system. And um, some of the uh, infection had landed in the bone marrow, so my immune system was literally evaporated. So it would be a year of, supposed to be a year and a half of treatment was the plan. I made it about a year going through a variety of different ailments, not having an immune system at the time, from shingles to diabetes to all of which rectified themselves, including the diabetes. Uh, Skin cancer, had surgery for that. I had four surgeries for the colorectal cancer. And after about almost a year, I guess I weighed 120 pounds at that point and was in and out of the hospital almost weekly for various ailments and conditions, and it was uh, quite a journey. So at the end of the year, I I weighed, and why am I doing all this? And although I still felt that urge and that importance, and I had recognized distinctive changes in my personality and a childlike naivety that I had never experienced and found beauty everywhere. And I notated all those changes in me and just assumed I was just grateful to be alive. But regardless, after a year of treatment, weighing 120 pounds, I had been 230 before my illness, Mm. I actually gave up, which I almost was embarrassed about, a little ashamed after all everybody had put me through or helped me with in my journey of treatment. and uh, But they didn't argue with me. They instilled me into hospice, and I was told three to six months, and I began hospice care at home until I could, could no longer take care of myself and get around, and I had a place at the respite house all reserved. So I spent two months in hospice, and... All treatment stopped, all medication, all life-saving treatment, and uh, I started eating. I started exploring nature and what, with what little strength I had. I got stronger every day. I didn't understand it. Hospice didn't understand it, although they said this can happen. So after two months, I found I was having the time of my life and felt great. <laughs> I, I just... I was nonstop. I just, I wanted to be outdoors. I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be anywhere where there was beauty. And I did nothing but search that out those entire two months. At the end of the two months, my hospice nurse encouraged me to call my doctors. And I agreed. At that point, felt like I had enough strength maybe to continue that treatment that I had stopped. So I went back to the doctors and went through all the testing and to their surprise and still to this day I was in complete remission with everything. They could find no sign of any of the previous illnesses. The diabetes was gone. Uh, The skin cancer that I I had surgery on, I still had more skin cancer to be removed but obviously when you're dying that just isn't a priority. That was gone. There was and I just felt like a million a million bucks. So, wow. Thanks. So, I exited hospice and began treatment again. Although the treatment, it sounds like, was what had caused you so much uh, suffering and pain in the first place. 
Well, the thing, you know, the treatment was attacking, it was basically killing your bone marrow, which as we all probably know, I'm certainly no doctor, but that's kind of the seat of your immune system. And I basically had no immune system at all. And it's taken me quite some time to recover from that and rebuild your immune system back up. So, you know, some of my story is that I find fascinating and the doctors find fascinating is we can always refer to some of these near-death experiences and say, boy, that immune system, you know, it can really fire up with love. And and I, and I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. I still question how it's possible when you have no immune system. And I, I, I find that intriguing. So it was about a year later that Christmas came around and my mom handed out her traditional annual calendar, which is loaded with pictures of the past. And we were all sitting together, and I was thumbing through the calendar, and it's just an ongoing family tradition. My mother loves to do it, and uh, lo and behold, I turned to the August page, which is the month of my birthday, expecting to see pictures of me, and there was an old picture of a man. In that picture, he was smiling and I literally lost my breath. I had to sit down. I thought I was going to pass out. I'm not really a drama guy. But I didn't understand. The face in that picture, I had never seen him before, but it obviously I had. And it was the same face that was in that white ball of light in my dream, or what I was calling my dream at that time. That picture after I could muster the conversation with my sister, uh, who, by the way, took care of me through the entire treatment process. Mm. Just a remarkable story of selflessness that she provided me. But anyway, she told me that, and my mom told me, that that was my grandfather, Trombley. He had died in 1956, well before my birthday. Um, in 1968, I had never seen pictures of that branch of my family as my father's father and mother had died years before my birth. So that was when I put it together that this person in my dream, if you will, quote unquote, was actually someone that had departed. So I started exploding in my brain and had another shift in my mind of what's happening and recognizing all the changes in me and personality and the healings and the, the figure in my dream was someone who had passed away that I didn't even know, which is another whole story. But as it turned out, I, at that point, discovered near-death experiences in our society and researched it. And although I didn't read a lot of experiences, but I had a thirst for the after effects and still do. Mm. Um, I think it's the absolute key, but I was almost floored to find that the 10 pages of changes in my personality that I had documented over that year of treatment were literally identical to after effects noted by researchers. Uh, I, I, I joke with others that I, I thought PMH Atwater had hacked my journal 
uh, and, stolen, <laughs> and stolen the information because he was just so spot on. Um, so from there, it's been an expansion of consciousness, if you will, for lack of anything better to, to call it um, just an insatiable thirst for information, knowledge, and very little of it is near-death uh, knowledge. I still have trouble reading others' near-death experience. I don't understand that. I don't know why, but I've had a calling to share the story, obviously, and to write a book, which I am doing, and maybe I just didn't want it to be tainted, you know, my experience with others' experiences. So I think that's a handful a, of them at best. Yeah. I think that's a very legitimate uh, reason for not, you know, while you are writing about your own NDE, is not to uh, conflate it with others, because there's so many parallels in these stories um great did, did you feel like you got uh any hint from your grandfather as to what um uh, the thing that you still had to accomplish was do you think it's just the enlightenment that you've uh, been experiencing was it is it the book what do you what's your well, take on that I, there's a number of things that i seemingly get intuitively from Odd. I know this sounds odd because I have to be honest. I was a skeptic to all these things before, so bear with my ignorance and some of it. This is fairly new for me, but I get a lot of intuitive things from my grandfather and my father about, you know, the message may not have been, although evidently it's called a veridical perception that I didn't know my grandfather. Had mm-hmm. I not, had I known my grandfather, I might not have ever put it together as a near death experience. So I think it was part of the journey that that be my awakening to what my quote-unquote dream was. Um, so I got a lot of intuitive things from them and still do with in regards to, you know, maybe the grandfather part was part of my awakening, but it also was a, a point of contention with some members of my family on that line that had withered limbs of that family tree that were that weren't really connected anymore and i felt like that was an important calling to try to repair Mm -hmm. i felt how is it possible you not have ever seen a picture of your grandfather i felt a lot of shame about that and but i put it together with a lot of this is exactly why some of these limbs of my family have withered so i went about trying to repair some of those and we'll still continue to try to do that. Um, but I think it was significant in that it was a family member, obviously, on a number of planes, in the sense that, you know, if I hadn't had the support of my family, my sister, my brother, all of my sisters, my mom, through that journey, I, I just wouldn't be here, Lee. Yes. So, you know, there's in the end, I always say, in the end, it's all about family. And, you know, there's, there was no excuse for me to have those withered limbs in my family tree, and I set about trying to repair those, and I think the book is a, is a major portion of that. Although writing this book is intriguing, to say the least, because it's, sometimes I sit down to write, Lee, and I'm no writer, so, but it just pours out of me, and it comes out well, and defined, and definitive, and, like somebody else is writing it, so I just try to follow the path and, and continue. Well, my perhaps you're and... 
perhaps your grandfather is having a hand in helping you write the book. I have no doubt about it. Uh, as well as my deceased father, I, I feel very reassured and calm with his presence every day. And Again, these are angels that I had been a skeptic of, but I know they're there. I know that there's a lot of epiphanies that I got over this last three years of awakening that I didn't ask for on topics that I had never had any interest in, and my research was was a calling, and I would get these epiphanies and go find out, thank God, that somebody else had already thought of this, because I didn't want to be the first guy to ever have to say, hey, quantum physics. <laughs> I mean, things I just, you know, I would have said years earlier, quantum physics, whatever. It, you know, it has no kind of like high school algebra. Well, why is this going to be useful for me? Um, just a lot of epiphanies that came so freely and smoothly that they'd make you laugh. And it Robert, became... I, I'm sorry to say we're uh, we're just about out of time for today. Um, yeah. Tell the folks how they can find your blog, which I think they'll find very interesting. Um, it's at uh, www.robertrombley.com at blogspot.com. And that's spelled, uh, the, my last name is different, T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Uh, so, and they can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, and hopefully they'll... There's so much more to the story, obviously, Lee, and that's going to all be in the book, and I hope it does make a difference for others. And, and uh, I, I pray for that. I look forward to it. Uh, are you set on the title, 20 Seconds? Okay, well, I'll be looking for it. Uh, and actually, Robert, when it comes out, uh, we should talk again on NDE Radio. Okay, um, okay folks, uh, if you'd like to listen again to this show or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS, check out their website at iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.